It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A -a one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to the Tell It Abs It Is podcast, your home for everything Colorado Avalanche on the Hockey Podcast Network. Here's your hosts, Griffin Youngs and Christian Boulay. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of the Tell It Abs It Is podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm Griffin Youngs, joined by Christian Bollet, as always. This might end up being like a pretty challenging episode because that game was incredibly easy, like we hoped it would be, but you just never know sometimes. The Avs win 6 to nothing over the San Jose Sharks in what could go down as not only the easiest win of the season, one of the easiest wins in franchise history. They outshoot the Sharks 43-13. to and for a good portion of this game had more goals than the Sharks had shots. Yeah, it was what that game should have been. Stress-free, all the big players showed up, had fantastic games, and you, you just, that third period, even though the Avs were winning, I was very, I was watching like haphazardly. Like, I was like, oh, okay, like we'll see. Oh, power plays on? Yeah. I mean, the entire third period, I think the third and fourth lines played a significant amount of hockey in this game. It was great. Yep. Not a single player on the avalanche played less than 11 minutes in this game. And do you even know who it was? Was it Curtis McDermott? It actually wasn't. Curtis McDermott did not have the least amount of ice time in this game, despite getting hurt. It was Andrew Cogliano who played 1148. Rantanen played 15 minutes. McKinnon played 15 minutes. Nichushkin played 15 Kale McCarr and Devontae's played 22 each because, of course, they did. That's who, light work for them, though. That's, that is an easy <laughs> night. And yeah. who led the Avs in ice time other than Sam Gerrard at 23, almost 24 minutes even? This was – it feels disrespectful to call this a night off, but we've been on the other end of what should be scheduled wins. This was as scheduled of a win as you will possibly see. The Sharks were in Winnipeg the night before, actually beat the Jets on a last-second comeback and won that game in overtime to steal a point from the Jets, came to Colorado and just got absolutely demolished. I almost felt bad. Like, it was 6 nothing after McCard danced around all of them and gave that puck up right to, to Lekin. And I was just like, man, this is just kind of... It's kind of disrespectful at this point. Not that it, I had any problem with it. No, I had no... It, it was good that the abs actually took care of business. Like this was a take care of business game. Everyone get right. And that's exactly what they did. Like Kale McCarr finally looks back uh, from those head injuries. Like this is, 
this was vintage Kale McCarr. This game, like just vintage Kale McCarr, and I say vintage for a twenty-four-year-old, but like this is the this is the Kale McCarr we've gotten used to seeing. Yeah, I mean, what did what did I ask for last episode when I was all frustrated, saying like you've got to crush these guys? I said I want Kale McCarr to go off. He had four points and was the most dominant we've seen from him in a long time. I mean, he's been carrying the load for this team when everyone else was hurt. And then he got hurt and it takes everyone a second to, to reacclimate after they've been out of the lineup for a while. I did feel bad for him just because he comes back and all of a sudden the team starts losing games. He is a big reason why the abs win this one and win big. And so was every other big gun on this team. You had essentially your entire top six score outside of JT Comfer. You get a goal from McKinnon. You get a goal from Rantanen. You get goals from Makar. You got a goal from Nachushkin. You got a goal from Lekkanen. I mean, for a game like this, this really could not have gone much better. I mean, this was literally not even close. It wasn't close. I think uh, AJ tweeted this out. It was a picture of JT Comfer's stat line. He recorded zero on everything which is honestly impressive in this game when it was a shooting gallery so good for jt comfort you, just know, what, to, you uh, know what he had that's important to a lot of people he had a 63 percent face-off percentage that's so. what he's out there for but uh yeah i mean like you said the top six like this was a get right game and they got right i mean mckinnon scores ranton and like gets cross-checked into the boards. And my favorite thing about that was how Ranton was talking all pregame about, I need to be more calm on the ice. Like I can't yell at the officials. He didn't yell at them in the moment, but once he scored, he kind of let loose. And it's like, I mean, it, it's progress. He, he didn't completely lose it. He waited until he scored to lose it. I mean, when you compare the two situations, the one against the Kraken where he admitted he thought he got the penalty and flipped out on the refs for the wrong thing, and this one where he could have broken his collarbone yeah. on this play, getting cross-checked in the back right into the boards. In the moment, he's just looking like, I promised, coach. I'm going to keep <laughs> my temper. I am not hurt. I am going to stand up. And when I get this puck, it is going into the net whether it hits the goalie or not. Kapokakinen is so lucky that puck did not touch him. It would have gone right through him. Yeah, it, was, it was very funny. Um, I I love Miko Ranton. I love the fire he's playing with this year. But recently he has been toting the line a little bit too much. Like There's a fine line between caring too much and actively hurting your team yeah I mean, it, and, it, it's frustration i mean he yeah. admitted as much i mean as much as much as the, the the ring thing against dallas was funny he admitted that he was frustrated and it doesn't help that the refs are not helping him at all and they're giving him wishy-washy calls and they're pissy at each other yeah they're pissy at each other but i i don't mind the ring thing i think that was I that was hilarious yeah it's I, just I, I hate that he apologized for it. yeah like it's one of those things where hockey is such a button-up sport and like very few players can show like emotion or like all that stuff like even though i despise brad marshan what he's saying about the all-star game it, it's refreshing yeah. because he's saying what everyone's thinking and there's a reason why these past two all-star games were the most attended all-star games by players because they were in fun cities. Right. Like I love Denver, Colorado. I love it. But the all-star game in February, it's like two degrees here. Like why do people, why would you want to come here when you can go to fucking Cabo or go somewhere else that's warm? Like I think that type of personality is good for the game. It at least it lets the players actually show some 
emotion in such a button up sport. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's that meme, just heartbreaking. The worst person, you know, just made a great point because why, why would a player want to do this? It's an 82 game season. And then in what is supposed to be their break, you're telling them, Marshand always uses the example of Edmonton. You're t- you got to go to Edmonton this weekend and go put on just the most cringeworthy show of all time. We're going to give you a bunch of props. Here's your script for jokes that you're not, you're not funny and you don't have charisma, but read these jokes anyway and try to be funny. Like I'd be like, oh, but you know, my knee has been bothering me so much that I have to go sit in the sun in Florida for the next week. Like it's not a bad thing. I thought what Miko did that it was, it was, it was funny. It got a bunch of interaction on social media, and I think hockey and baseball kind of fight this a lot. Where it's like, how can we make the game more fun and make the players more accessible? And those types of moments are there. Like that's hilarious. Like yeah, that is just genuinely really funny. And reminder, like, hey, yeah, we're losing. We're literally the defending cup champ, right? And I am allowed to show that off to you. I mean, ba- I don't think anything will ever top baseball's stuffiness, but hockey is at least second. Football and basketball do not fight it this much. No, they don't. They allow the celebrations, and it's like it. hockey is that sport where you can't show up your opponent. And I agree there's a point of showing up your opponent. Of course, but, there, there's always a line. Yeah, but that's what makes college hockey so great. I know you don't watch college hockey. Like, I'm getting into the college oh, hockey I've, season I've now. gotten more into college hockey this season than I have in the past. It's great. Yeah. But their celebrations are the best part of the game. Like that, that is the fun part. That's what the fans want to see. Um, so I, I, I agree with you. I don't know why Miko apologized for it, but it's, it's just, that's how hockey is. Um, so I would love to see the players get a little bit more, uh, show a little bit more, more pizzazz and a little bit more fire. Cause a lot of these guys probably are fucking hilarious and like those type of witty things. Like it, it drives me crazy, but Brad Marchand is, hopefully leading the charge that way, which are words I never thought I'd say. Yeah. I mean, with Marshawn, it's like, man, why do you have to be such a dick on the ice? Like, why do you have to be so like damn smart too? And like be a very good representative of the players. It's so annoying. But anyway, getting back to this game, the avalanche just ran away with this game right from puck drop. Kale McCarr picks up his 14th goal of the season at less than five minutes into the game. And you could tell that maybe the Sharks were coming into this game with a little bit of, well, we just did it last night against Winnipeg with that last second comeback and winning that game in OT. The Avs were not having any of it. This was a, they just lost three in a row. They did not play very well. This was their get right game. And unfortunately the Sharks were just on the other side of it. And Kel McCarr just feeling like, oh, oh yeah, I remember now I'm good. Yeah, I, I think we talked on the show on uh, Monday where like they should win this game seven to nothing. We came very close to being right about that. Like very close. Um six nothing. Like they're they're, they're slacking. They couldn't get that seventh goal. Um I I was very happy with how that game went. I wanted to ask you this question because I was thinking about it. If the Avs played that entire third period empty net, how many goals do you think the Sharks get? Not more than two. You don't think so? They might get lucky and send a couple down the ice. But even one of the things that impressed me in this game was like the Avs did not let up in the third. Like they did a little bit, but it's not like they were just like, here's an an open breakaway. I mean, Georgiev had a shutout in this game that I don't think anyone even noticed because he barely even had to do any work in this game. He only finished with 13 saves, and two of them, I'd say, were even 
high danger quality yeah. chances at all. One of them was like a semi breakaway that Jack Johnson took a penalty on. Other than that, the Sharks had nothing in this game. They had no legs. They had no motivation and they had no shot. <laughs> they had no shot. But I, I did wonder, I was like, if the Avs played empty net, they would have six skaters. Like they could probably score a couple more times because they were pinning the Sharks in the zone with five players. Yeah. Like six on five. I, I think the Avs could score a couple of times. Um, I was wondering that. I also had the thought like, why don't we just take Yorgiev out for this third period and put Johansson in? Well, like, what's, the, what's the difference? Like, yeah. But it like just why risk why risk moving. your gift getting hurt? Yeah, just keeps the blood moving. I right. guess keeps them in a rhythm. <laughs> like, like I, I, get I feel that. like that. I feel like that's the line, though, of like disrespect. Is oh, like you 100%. are literally not worth our time, and we're gonna pull our goalie. <laughs> maybe 100%. just maybe just a tad, but I think for Georgiev, this basically was a night off for him. He faced two shots in the first period and faced a whopping six in the third, which is the best the Sharks could muster in this entire game the, in the period where the abs were up six to nothing and actively taking the period off. They still had nine. Yeah, it, it was, it was great. Um, I will say the only thing that I say went wrong in this game uh, and it's not even a gripe. Uh, I was really hoping Lars Eller would score in this game. I was really hoping he'd score. I mean, he's, he's been looking better as of late. I will just say probably shouldn't be hoping for Lars Eller to be scoring a, a ton right. of goals generally it's not much of his skill set anymore but I've, I've liked his last couple of games even the game against Seattle I thought he was all right I think maybe a little bit of an unfair sample size considering this game compared to all of his other ones here this game was very clearly his best right. one he took he drew a holding penalty on Kakinen the the, no James Reimer it was James Reimer oh, right the they put Reimer in at that point so yeah they drew he drew a hold on the goalie which I don't think I've ever seen before. So credit to him for the hustle play. That's where he makes his money on the boards. I mean, was there anything that you can even say like, oh, this could have gone better in this game? I liked everybody in this game because we saw everybody in this game. Everyone got a very fair amount of ice time and everyone just did their job. They responded very well to losing their last three games and did what they should have and stomped this poor Sharks team. Yeah, they stomped him. Going back to Eller, though, I, I did like what Bednar said. He's played in the same system for Washington. For how long was he in Washington? Six years? I think it was 16 was his first season in Washington. So you're talking oh. six, seven years. He's learning a new system on the fly. Like, he's going to get better. I still don't love him on the line with O'Connor and Cogliano, but he's getting better. And the more comfortable he gets in the system, like you said, I don't expect him to score. I just expect him to be a good defensive forward. Right. And that's I mean, really what we need out of him. In a game like this where, yeah, there's no real stakes to this game, obviously, in the third period, but he's doing his job. And his job is going to be defensively and maybe find a puck loose in the crease and bang it in maybe once every 20 games at this point because that that's just what he is. So I like the addition of Eller as long as he's playing in the right role. And for a game like this, I I genuinely had no problem with him or anybody else for that matter. The top six really came through and carried the load and made this probably the most stress-free game of all time. Yeah, most stress-free game. The bottom sixer who just continues to impress me, uh, Dennis Morgan is fucking awesome as a fourth liner. Like, I remember when we first acquired him, we were talking about, it's like, if this dude can figure out how to put the puck in the net, he's going to be a valuable asset. 
and he has proven in these past 10 games where he has, I think, five goals in the past 10 games. He is a legitimate fourth line threat. He is. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think it's funny when we do talk about the trade deadline, we only talk about Jack Johnson and Lars Eller. If the Avs just save their moves for like two weeks until the deadline, we'd be talking like, wow, that was a really solid deadline. They got Dennis Mulgan for Dryden Hunt. They got Matt Nieto basically for Martin Cowden, and Jacob McDonald. Those are two really good solid depth pickups. And like you said, we've been talking about Mulgan for a while. It's like, he's good. He just can't, absolutely cannot find the net. But if he gets one, he just gets one to go his way. That might open the floodgates. And I I really like Mulgan's style of play. He's a legitimate scoring threat in the bottom six. And again, we traded Dryden Hunt for him. A guy who was not signed by this team, was a waiver claim because we needed a warm body. And the team we traded him to no longer has him either. So I think it's pretty safe to say we kind of won this one. Dennis Mulgan Dennis Mulgan's the kind of guy I can easily see just sticking around next year at under a million bucks playing in that bottom six again because these are the kind of guys you need, the guys that can give you that value scoring where probably he's maybe a fringe top six guy in an absolute pinch. No other team's really going to take much of a chance on him. You can get him cheap, and you know that when he's playing like this, he can he can give you a goal every now and again. He's playing pretty solid. Does he not remind you of like a more skilled Sven Andrigetto? I think that's a really good comparison. I mean, I I love me some Sven Andrigetto back in the day, but Dennis Mulgan, I think I think he just works with this system. I think he's a nice change of pace from a, a lot of like the defensive mindset that we have, right. especially in that bottom six. But he does his job defensively well enough most of the time. He's definitely had some errors along the way defensively but he does his job well enough that i think he's a much needed versatile scoring threat compared to guys in the bottom six i mean you see a guy like cogliano getting goals every now and again but you're you didn't come into the season expecting him to pick up 10 and right. eventually gonna end up more as well and with mulgan i think if you keep him in the system and keep him familiar with it for a while i think you can really see him i don't want i don't expect him to turn into a 20 goal scorer or anything but just one of those valuable guys that when Nathan McKinnon becomes the highest paid player in the NHL next season, those kind of under a million dollar guys that you're going to need to put some goals in for you. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, that goalie scored, it was a beautiful play. <laughs> like It was a beautiful shot. Uh, as much as I don't like new hook on that fourth line, he, he works well with Dennis Mulgan. Yeah, like I mean the, that, that's that's how I can kind of stomach the the Eller on the third line thing is Newhook and Mulgan are a pretty good duo together. That, yeah. That's a lot of skill for a fourth line. The only thing that concerns me about it is they aren't the biggest line, um, so that does concern me a little bit. But overall, like those are two playmakers on your fourth line that no one else can really match. You know what I mean? Like the goal scoring threat on most teams' fourth line is very slim. Like you look at the Abs fourth line last year in the Cup Finals, it was uh, Nico Sturm, uh, Newhook, and whatever. Yeah, Obeykubel. Like I, I'd say, Morgan's better than Sturm offensively, and better than Obeykubel offensively. So, I, I I like the fourth line. I would not be shocked in the least, though, when they get centered by Darren Helm. Like that's going to be a really solid four. Well, if we're talking, if we're talking about playoffs. Apparently, Darren Helm is just one of the greatest playoff goal scorers. Right. Of I mean, remember what he did on the fourth line last year in the playoffs? Scored. I mean, a- even even if they reunite Helm, O'Connor, and Cogliano, you put Eller down to that fourth line. I like that line too. Like yeah. 
that is that is the type of one where I could see Eller scoring a couple goals just because he'll be playing with those two playmakers. Um, but the abs are better forward wise than they were before the trade deadline. Yeah, that's that's exactly where I wanted to go with this. Is you can say what you want about the abs didn't do this or didn't do that at the deadline. Their depth in December was a tremendous problem. Right. We were legitimately concerned. Like we can't even run four lines out here because a lot of our signing from the off season, like bleed and Sedlock didn't work. They went out and they fixed it. And now all of a sudden the abs don't have depth problems anymore. It's not the highest end depth in the world, but it's all pretty solid. And they've got a guy like Darren Helm who could be like a black ace for the rest of this season, a real trick up their sleeve that if he comes back healthy now or in the playoffs, that they just all of a sudden have a bunch of NHL caliber forwards ready in the wings that other teams, especially in the West, just don't have. Completely agree. And that's where the abs took advantage in the playoffs last year was their depth down the middle. I mean, you had Berkey playing third line. Like Berkey was it, scratched in the playoffs yeah. some nights. Like this team, it's not the quality depth that we had last year, but it's still good depth. I mean, to um, be fair, I don't know if we'll ever have that again. Never I mean, again. We, st- we started the Nashville series and Alex Newhook was scratched Yeah, because we could literally just do whatever we wanted at that right. point. It was like, yeah, you know, maybe he's a little too young for this. We're a, a, t- a normal playoff team would be like, yeah, well, we just got to hope he's ready. Yeah. Like we, we could take our time with it. Like it's not the quality depth we had last year, but no depth will ever be like that may go down as one of the deepest hockey teams in the cap era. Like that team was loaded. And I think Chris McFarland and Joe Sackett did a good job replenishing the cupboard as best they could. Yeah. With, with the, the resources games. that they have, which is right. not much. None. And you, you look at the trades they make, they only gave up one draft pick. And yes, it was a second round pick, which I still think might've been a lot for Lars Eller. But at the end of the day, your, your pick cupboard hasn't changed all that much. You got Dennis Mulgan for free. No disrespect right. for Dryden Hunt, but you got him for free. And you got uh, Matt Nieto in a trade where Jacob McDonald, for a guy you didn't have any more use for, and Martin Kaut, a guy who said he's requested to be traded five times. So you finally were able to find a home for him. And I don't want to say for free, but you probably weren't going to be using those guys anyway. And then you get Jack Johnson for Andreas Englund. We can can hash that out all the live long day as to who's actually more valuable on this team. But they still didn't give a pick. And for Lars Eller, they gave up a draft pick. Compared to some other teams like Florida last year, who was not going to have a pick for the next like five years. Yeah. So, and you still have that first round pick to trade in the offseason if you need to. Yeah. So, or you can just and, use it and just have it and have a better prospect covered next year than you did this year. Right. So, yeah, I mean, it, this was evident. I know it was the Sharks in this game, but you could see the depth quality improve um so yeah i i really like those moves i like what lars eller did dennis mulligan continues to be awesome matt nieto and his role is gonna like he'll do whatever you need him to do he's the yeah. full like swiss army knife of a player um miko gets a goal the only player who didn't score in the top six was jt comfort like yeah. that that is that is pretty damn good and evan rodriguez um so i he, i feel good still for erod even though he didn't pick up one in this game this is much more of the Evan Rodriguez that Correct. we got accustomed to earlier in the season. Like he definitely went through a period for the last couple of weeks where he just hasn't been effective. If you can pull any positive from that Dallas embarrassment, 
Erod finally got on the board, and you can tell he's remembered that he can score now. He's going to get one to go again in the next couple of games, and before the end of the season, he's going to be putting up points again and go into the playoffs with a hot hand. Right. And it's going to be good. I mean, he didn't score, but he did have a couple chances. He did. Um, So it's going to start coming for him again. Lekkonen, like, I don't know what else to say about that guy. Like, he's got to be the worst to play against in the NHL just because he gives 110% every single time. Like, name another player like him in the NHL with this type of skill. Especially, like, the role he plays, which is, I wouldn't say is the most physical, but he's just, like you said, such a pest to play against and just so annoying to be against. And again, that contract is best so incredible. I feel like it's been too long since I've talked about it, that we got him for five years at 4.5, which yep. is completely unfair. I mean, to be fair on this goal, this was very much Kale McCarr just putting on his tap dancing shoes and going around the sharks. But Lekkonen has again, as always, been one of the most consistent guys on the team. Even in stretches where he's not scoring a ton of goals, this was his 18th goal of the season, he's still just an incredibly effective player because he's not the biggest guy in the world. You know, he's six feet tall, 180 pounds. I mean, he's he's my size, basically. And I'm trying to picture myself trying to be Arturi Lekkonen, and I just picture myself in the hospital because of the way that man plays. He's right. He's just so good at using his body, using his leverage and digging out those pucks, getting to the right places. It just helps that he's so smart. That's the ultimate redeeming quality about Arturi Lekin is he just, he knows what he's doing at all times. He knows what he's doing. And could you imagine if he was like three inches taller? (laughs) We wouldn't have him. Yeah. (laughs) That's simple because he would have gotten paid by the Montreal Canadiens. Probably would have been like the first overall pick. (laughs) <laughs> like he he is just unreal um that that four check he got to set up the first goal with Kale McCarr like that was just vintage Arturi Lekkonen um and like you said fair, getting him fair, for another McKinnon was the top pick in that yes season. so okay two, all right number all right. two at least that, that's fair that's fair um but yeah I mean Arturi Lekkonen just works his ass off uh the fact he has 18 goals like that kind of surprised me when you just said that like he's gonna have the quietest 20 goal season I think of anyone on the roster yeah um so he's just continued to play unreal. Another guy in this game who they were talking about on the broadcast, um, Val Nachushkin is basically a point per game player, which is hilarious when you think about it. Like yeah, that he hasn't played in forever and right. that went on a pretty decent point drought. But you look at his last couple of games, Christian, do you want to guess when the last time he didn't have a point was? Uh, was it like his first game back? It was the second half of a back-to-back against Minnesota. He did not have Fair. a point. Every game since then, he's got at least one. The old Val is back. Like, he's okay. been making those nice plays. Like, even just the little plays of setting up McKinnon for those breakaways. And now he's getting to the right spots. And he had four points in this game against the Sharks, which he has not done since his rookie season. So, that is a very good sign for the Avs, that Val Nachushkin feeling better, putting up those points again. And even though the Avs are still fighting in the West, that is still very bad news for the Western Conference, that Val is back consistently in the lineup for the first time in seemingly forever and is finally putting up some points. 
Yeah. And he is, you wouldn't expect him to be a point per game player. Cause I feel like he's gone very, like the injuries have really screwed over Val, but if he plays at this, we're talking about a guy who could have 75 points. Like that contract. I know a lot of people were worried about it, but if you can get Val to stay remotely healthy, he's found his stride. He's figured out his role in the NHL and it's, it sucks for like, I feel like a lot of players now, like who underperform, they're going to get like maybe the, the Val Nachushkin and the Tage Thompson treatment. Like maybe they just need a little bit more time, but in reality that never happens. Like there's more Martin Couts out there than there are Valeria Nachushkins and Tage Thompson's. Right. Like the, the skill needs to be there. Yeah. So, and Val Nachushkin, like you, you really wonder what, like what, what, what happened in Dallas? Like, why, why couldn't he be this? Like, you just wonder because he could like, I think he could make a case if he was healthy all year to be a top 10 left wing in the NHL. He could, I think think he could definitely make that case. I mean, even in Colorado, he was, he was good the moment he got here because of his defensive impact. But last season is when it just clicked, just like Val all of a sudden just turned into a superstar. And right now he's got 32 points in 33 games and when i look at his contract and i look at the length and the injury history i look at what this team's like when he's not in the lineup and that to me says all you need to know about his contract is that yeah he's absolutely worth that yeah there's the injury concerns and he broke his foot in the stanley cup final has been in and out of the lineup this season the way the team plays with val in the lineup versus when he's out of the lineup makes him worth every penny and every single year of that contract because that's a guy you need on your team. You don't right. want him going anywhere else. And especially after the playoff that he had, there's you simply cannot let that guy walk out the door. You can't. And if Val's healthy for the playoffs, I could give two rats ass about the regular season. Yeah. Who like, it, that's that's everything though right. for the regular season is if this team goes on and wins another Stanley Cup, you think I'm going to remember December where they were injured all the time? You think I'm going to remember like, oh, they finished second in the Central because they lost a couple of games to the Blackhawks in January? No, if they win, nothing else matters. It's all just a fun little footnote on the story. Like, hey, they had their little struggles in the regular season and everything. And you for start Val, the championship video with that. If Val has another like goaded playoff run, <laughs> he could sit out next year's regular season too, and that contract is worth it. Right. Because it's it's winning you cups, so it was good to see Val get like rewarded for his performance, though. Um, like for what he does for this team, he was fantastic in this game. That deflection he had, I tweeted this out. I was like, "Could how many tries do you think it would take for you to deflect that puck into the net?" Yeah, probably hit me in the face. <laughs> That's what I said. I'd probably end up in the fucking hospital if I tried that. Like it was such a simple play, and it was a perfect deflection. Like. I I just laugh because I I'd like to think that I'm like somewhat like athletic and then you just remember these guys are literally skating at 22 miles per hour with blades on their feet on a slippery surface and doing shit like that like it, it's crazy how talented these guys are um but overall like just do you have any other thoughts about the San Jose game other than thank the fucking lord we beat a bad team and we took advantage of the first game of these easier games. 
honestly, there's not a whole lot else to say about this game. I mean, they just took care of business exactly how we asked them to. You have to stomp this team because we finally got the answer to our question. By the way, this was the third time we played a team on the second half of a back-to-back while we're rested. Yeah. First one was the home game against Dallas, I think, where we beat them 4-1. to And that was like a week later against Buffalo. I think it was the one in Buffalo. We won that one too. And then we had like four for us in between that stretch. And this was finally our first one. This was... I don't want to say must win game, but if you lost this game, the meltdown would have been. Oh, dude. Twitter would have been fucking imploded. It would have broken again from all the abs fans freaking the fuck out. Yeah. You you would open your homepage and your phone would just explode. Yeah. Like just blow up into pieces in your hands. And the Sharks finished this game with 13 shots. Kind of. This is one of the rare games where the box score kind of does tell the story. You really don't need to watch this game or dig too much into it. The Avs top players took over this game and ended it early, and they outshot the Sharks by 30, who had no shot being in this game whatsoever. The only thing that really came out of this game is Eric Carlson throws his helmet on the ice. Yeah, that was very funny. I mean, I don't know how the refs missed that high stick. Like, Newhook fucking chopped him in the face, and they missed it. Um, Eric Carlson had every right to be mad. I've never seen someone throw their helmet on the ice. (laughs) I can think of one. Where McKinnon sees a particular. Oh yeah, but he, he threw that. Like. Yeah. Well, McKinnon hit someone with yeah. it. But it was very funny. Like this game was weird because you we had that goalie holding penalty which you never see, and then you had Eric Carlson on the bench throwing his helmet on the ice. Like yeah. that was this game was weird for a yeah, six nothing you, you, game. You just look at the third period penalties where it's Eric Carlson unsportsmanlike and misconduct after that. Jack Johnson roughing against Andreas Janssen. James Reimer holding against Lars Eller, yep. served by Barabanov. And then at 20 minutes, Mark Edward Vlasic misconduct. So safe to say the Sharks were not too happy about how this game was going. I mean, can't help but feel a little bad for them. They're tanking masterfully. They're doing a great job. There are yeah. some teams out there that I don't really understand what they're doing. The Sharks are doing a great job. They're the only team right now in the NHL that does not have 20 wins. And right now they have the, in terms of points percentage, at least they have the second overall pick. If this nets them Connor Bedard, do you think they're going to remember this at all? Other than just, Hey, remember this. Think how bad this team would be without Eric Carlson. They almost were. Yeah. Like they could have been really bad, but I did want to talk to you about this. Go ahead. Like, I saw this and I think it was Drew who tweeted it out. Like there was the poll that came out about the Norris trophy and Carlson's the runaway winner right now. And he's having one of the greatest seasons of all time. But Drew brought up a good point. He's like, why, why is the playoff so important for the heart trophy, but not for the Norris? Well, I, think I it, thought I that think was an interesting question because I think it's simply just the wording is most valuable player versus best defenseman. If it was most valuable defenseman, I would see that. I, even then, I don't love the if you don't make the playoffs, you're not most valuable. Because while in the years the Oilers were bad, Connor McDavid was still inarguably the most right. valuable player in the NHL. But I think it's a somewhat fair point. Like, well, how valuable is it if you miss the playoffs? But I don't think it should be that big of a factor. For the Norris, though, if you're the best defenseman, you're the best defenseman. I think the conversation can be had if Eric Carlson is the best defenseman, 
But what he is doing this season on an absolutely terrible team should definitely be commended. And I think He's the, the I, league in five on five points yeah, in five, not defensemen, the league yeah. in five on five points, which right. is incredibly impressive. You, you also can't tell me Eric Carlson gives two shits about defense this season. That, oh, yeah. that guy does not give a fuck about stopping the puck right now. But I think second on that list, if we're referring to the same one, was Darlene and Morrissey. I was surprised Adam Fox was not on that list, but I'm also okay with that. So we don't have to worry about Rangers fans getting all uppity for the next year until Makar wins his next one. Yeah, I I really like, like I'm in complete agreement with you. Like it's the best defenseman and what Roman Yossi or whoa, Jesus. Well, we're talking trigger in last year. Yeah, yeah, trigger in the last year. Um, what Eric Carlson's doing this year, it, it's very impressive on such a shitty team. Like, it's very impressive. And he should be the runaway winner. Um, but I still think it was the discussion we had last year. They just need to create a second award. And it's like, you have the top defenseman, which is the Norris, and then give it like the Bobby Orr yeah. or the Paul Coffey Award for the most points. I honestly don't understand why that's not a thing. That seems yeah. like just such an easy thing. Like, then, then Yossi has his award for his amazing season which i kind of feel like is already being lost to history like that he almost hit a hundred points as a defenseman like that should be worth something and ended up losing the norris because mccarr was a step behind him in points and was absurd defensively as well and was also in like the heart conversation and for this season like eric carlson should definitely be getting an award for this best defenseman though i think there's a conversation to be had about that especially with how Darlene's played and how Morrissey has played and Adam Fox has played. There's a debate to be had about that at the very least, but he should be getting something. He should because he's, he's going, if everything goes right, he's going to hit a hundred points this year. He's going to, um, cause I think he's at what, like 76 or 77 right now. I, I don't remember off the top of my head, but I can surely. Find yeah. I think it's like there, but just give a, like, just come up with another award. Like, just just do it like it's really not that hard and then you get both teams get happy like you do it with forwards he's got 82 <laughs> yeah like he's gonna hit, he's if gonna he's, hit 100 if he was out for the rest of the season today he would finish it. if he didn't score a single point the rest of the season he's a point per game player yeah ridiculous like, he's been fantastic this year and he's gonna get moved this off season and I hate to say it, but he's going to get hurt to whatever team he goes to. <laughs> like, it's just Eric Carlson's MO. Like, it, it sucks because he is, before Kale McCarr, like him and Victor Hedman were in the same, like, stratosphere. Hedman rem- stayed healthy. Carlson has gotten banged up. Yeah. I remember back when the Senators went to the Eastern Conference Final and then tanked off the next season. Do you remember, like, that brief pocket of time? where people said, well, why wouldn't you trade Kale McCarr for yeah. Eric Carlson? It's Eric frigging Carlson. Kale McCarr is not going to be that good, right? <laughs> Thank God we didn't. The sense would be fucking gross with Kale McCarr. <laughs> that would have probably made up for the Duchesne trade. A yeah. Bit. Yeah. So it, it was an interesting one. I think Drew tweeted that out. And I was like, that's a good point. But at the same time, I just kind of look at it and I'm like, he's been – he's going to have the most points. And that's really like this award comes down to like, who has the most points. And if there's a tie, they go, okay, who's the better defenseman. Yeah. And also like, if you consider that if Carlson was not on the sharks, would he have even more right now? And probably would also be a little more committed to playing defense as well. Like if he, if he was in Edmonton, 
playing with Connor McDavid and having this season. I'm I'm almost kind of glad that the Oilers didn't get him because what do you do against that? The best defense is just never giving up the puck. Those yeah. two would just give it right back and forth to each other the the whole game and you just never touch it. Yeah, you Wouldn't would never fair. touch the puck. You would never touch the puck. It'd be gross. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if they get him in the offseason, though. I've There would certainly be a couple of cap obstacles to get there first, but I think the Sharks, if he doesn't get hurt before the end of the season, probably should. Yeah, you definitely should. He doesn't fit yeah. your timeline at all. Like, you should trade him. You should trade Couture. You should, they're not going to trade Hurdle. Um, they should have traded Hurdle last year, but instead they, like, Couture, I think it would be an interesting one to move because he's obviously not the same player he used to be, but he still could be impactful to the right team. Yeah. I mean, he's 33, 8 million bucks until 2027. I mean, it's, it's not great, but it's not great. That's what I'm saying. The sharks are fucked. (laughs) Yeah. I just don't, unless they're retaining, which they'd have to do on Eric Carlson to begin with. Once they trade him in the off season, you can only retain on so many contracts at once. I think the limit is three. So that for every other trade deadline, that just gives you one guy to retain on the rest of the way. And again, like I just, it's their captain. He'll stick around. Yeah. And if they do get Connor Bedard, that team would be really free. That'd be interesting. If they get Connor Bedard, I don't know if they trade Eric Carlson. I agree. I completely agree with you. So we'll have to see. I mean, the Sharks, it's just weird to have the Sharks be bad because like my entire life, they've been the model of consistency. Like they, they were, had, they were consistent, all right, especially in yeah. the playoffs. Like they always choked, but they made the playoffs every year, and they were always a threat. Like it's just weird when you look at the Western Conference now, because for so long, the California teams were by far the best teams in the West outside of Chicago, and now the Ducks are god awful, the Sharks are god awful, the Kings are good, but it's just, it, I mean, that's how time works. But it's very weird because for a majority of my life, these teams were the gold standard of teams. Hey everybody, hope you've been enjoying this episode so far. Interrupting to bring you a word from our sponsor at DraftKings Sportsbook. NBA fans, it's time to bring back the hoops action to the palm of your hand with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet $5 and win $200 in free bets instantly. Plus, for a limited time, all new and existing customers can get a no-sweat same-game parlay Every day, all you have to do, go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app today, opt in, and place in a same-game parlay on any NBA game, and if it doesn't hit, you'll get a free bet back. I'm not going to pretend to be a basketball guy, but those Denver Nuggets, they're looking like some free money right now. If you want to get in on the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, you can download the app now and sign up with code THPN. New customers can bet $5 on the NBA and get $200 in free bets instantly only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA with code THPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. Void in Ohio. See show notes for details. Now, back to the episode. Yeah, so the Kings have gotten better and well, how topical. The Avs are playing the Kings next and this is weirdly like their last super important game that they have until minnesota on the 29th where just it seemed like for like the entire month of february every game was like holy shit this is like a must win 
And now you have basically three weeks of either basement dwelling West teams or East teams with the one exception being against LA tonight by the time you're hearing this. And I think it's going to be a damn good game. It's going to be a good game. I wouldn't be, do you think it's Corpusalo or Copley? This is going to be terribly outdated because most fans will know by the time they're listening to this. I imagine Corpusalo just because they, they, I think they'll go Copley. Well, they haven't played in three days and I think they got Corpusalo because they don't trust Copley. So they at least want to give him as many games as they can before the playoffs. Not, I mean, it's nothing against Copley, but he is a third string goalie and has yep. been for most of his career. I don't think it's that much of an insult. Also, you kind of spit in the face of your franchise goalie to get this guy. You might as well yeah. use him. Fair, fair. But um, I I would be either one who plays. I, I think the way the abs played in this last game, you have to feel good about it. Um, you know the Avs are going to be geared up for this game. You know they are. I'm just looking at the Kings' schedule right now. This is the only road game they have until March 28th after they already had a three-game home stand. They have three road games the entire month, and two of them are the last two games, which I don't remember ever seeing a home stretch like this, but this is the only time the Kings are going to be on the road basically the entire month. But yeah, even getting back to your point, like I, I think this is just going to be a damn solid hockey game. The Kings are not amazing, but they're a good team. They're a playoff team in the West. And I don't know if I believe this, but they very well could be a team you see in the Western Conference Final if things roll their way, if Corpus Allo really does turn into something for them. They, I think they have a pretty, not super tough road to get there, but they're they're a good team right now. I think that's the best way to describe teams. They're good yeah they're a good team i am intrigued to see them against more than likely the oilers or the knights like i think that'd be a fun I playoff series really hope they get vegas just for jonathan quick because yeah. that all of a sudden has become a really interesting series if that's the case i mean i i don't want to play the oilers just because we saw that already True. last year and it was a good series it went seven but i'm just i've never been too interested in repeat series that aren't between like absolute bitter rivals Oh, so, this coming from a Caps fan who had to endure torture of facing the Penguins every year. For well, that's what I mean, I, I was fine with those series because <laughs> I liked getting the second chance every single time. But if Vegas gets the Kings, that is such a good series. Oh, that's a great storyline. Those will be great 8 o'clock games after, like, on the nights the Avs aren't playing. Those will be great 8 p.m. games for me, 10 for you. But I I like the Kings. I think Kevin Fiala kicks ass. Anze Kopitar is an ageless wonder right now. Um Sean Dursey is a solid defenseman. Uh, you got Drew Doughty, who's still at his age is producing at an unreal level. Um, it's going to be a tough game. We we saw this team, what was it, two months ago now, where we blew that two goalie in the third period. Oh yeah, I I blocked that one out too. Yeah, I forgot. I, like, I remember the game. I remember like one of those kind of games. I think I just blocked out who it was at that point. But yeah. yeah. It was in the midst of like our just shit luck. I think that's and what then, kicked it off after the loss to Arizona. Yeah. So it's it's going to be a good game. Um, I think the Avs are going to come in with a ton of confidence. I think with Kale McCarr back, with Devon Taves playing the way he is, Sam Gerrard, we haven't talked about him. He's just been a model of consistency recently. Like, he's really found his stride. Uh, Bo Byram, like, I'm shocked he didn't score against the Sharks. He had so many chances. Um, I think the defensemen are going to play a huge role. It, I would imagine it's going to be Brad Hunt and Jay, or, uh, Jack Johnson on the line together. So 
I think the Avs have the advantage when it comes to the forward group. I think this game's going to be close. I think it's going to be a little bit more high scoring than we think. I think the Avs win it 4-3 in overtime. I think I like that. I'm going to go 4-2 the Avs win in regulation. I think this is just going to be a quality hockey game to watch. I think they're going to go back and forth for a bit. And I think the Avs are just the better team with better goaltending. And that game against the Sharks, I know it's the Sharks, but that's a confidence builder where you outshoot another professional hockey team by 30 and beat them by six in a game that's not even close. You've got to feel pretty good about that. The Avs are still going to be on home ice. I think they're just going to take care of business in this game. I think the Kings are going to put up a really solid fight because they're a really solid team. And the Avs are going to walk out of there with two points. Yeah. We we talked about it earlier in the episode where the depth of this team has improved. This is going to be a good test of how good your depth is because the Kings have three legitimately good lines. They do. Like I, I want to say Velarde's on the third line, or is he on the first line? He's on the third. He's on the third. Like you're going to face a team that I think uh speed wise can kind of keep up with you. Um that Kempe's fast. I follow if he's playing. I don't know. Is I follow hurt or is he playing? Uh according to Cap Friendly, he's fine. Yeah, like you're playing a team that has some speed in in the Kings. Uh, I think it's going to be a really good test of the depth. Lars Eller is going to have to be big in the faceoff circle. Um, but I just think the Avs, right, like I know it's one game against the Sharks, but like you said, that has to be a confidence builder. Like, yeah. hey, we can do this. We like, can. I, if that game was close against the Sharks or they like barely scraped it out, I mean, obviously we wouldn't be very happy about it. I don't think right. they would be either, but it's the fact that they – Got the perfect scenario out of it that's going to build off of this. Also, I want to bring this up. Uh, Adrian Kempe, quietest 30-goal season of all time? Oh, yeah. He's been unreal, dude. I didn't even realize he had 30 yeah. goals already at this point. So he's been really solid. He had 35 last year. I feel like underrated player conversation, I feel like he's got to be up there. Just oh, he's up there for sure. Nobody sure. talks about it. I mean, everyone talks about like Barkov and whatever. If you are the most consensus, most underrated player, you're not underrated. You're not underrated. A guy like Adrian Kempe definitely is at 5.5 million bucks too. That's ridiculous. Yeah, he's turned into a really good player. I um, started too. Oh my God. See, I didn't even know any of this. Yeah, he's good, man. He's really good. So the abs are going to be tested. Um, Kopitar, it's always a good matchup against him for McKinnon uh, because, you know, Kopitar is going to be out there every single time. So we'll have to see, but I feel good about this game. Yeah, I, I feel pretty solid about it too. It's hard not to feel good when you come off of a win like that, but this is a team that you got to show up for. You can't show up expecting this to be an easy win. The Kings are right now tied with Vegas for first in the Pacific. I feel like we always say this about the Kings, that they're right there with the Pacific, but they're still there. And if they can get some help from Vegas, who can lose a couple of games, like the Kings can very well end up winning the Pacific in the regular season after we've all kind of just made fun of them and the 217 goals they've given up this season, which is a lot. But I feel like they've gotten a lot better about that recently at the very least, I mean, you look at their last couple of games, three to two, four to two, four to two, ignore that six, five in there, uh, ignore the giving up five there too, but it's stabilized at least a little bit for them that yeah. their biggest weakness of goaltending. I'm not sold on Corpusalo, but if he gives them 900, 905 goaltending, that changes things for this team, which if they had that all season, they'd be comfortably winning the Pacific right now. And well, they'd, the they'd probably be the top team in the West. Yeah. Which is, which is a very weird thing because they 
have more points than the stars. Yeah. Which is a very weird thing to think about considering just how much we consider the stars a threat. And the Kings like, yeah, they're good, but they're not there yet. They're tied for first in the West right now. Yeah. Like again, they're- just flying under the radar. I mean, I we talked so much shit about the Pacific, but the Pacific has like pretty much all of the leading teams in the say, West like, right we, now. We talked a lot of crap, but Edmonton is currently a wild card team right yeah. now. And they're not number two. That is a central team, the Winnipeg Jets. I mean, the Pacific, they're kind of getting dogged on right now by everyone. They're like, oh, the West sucks and the Pacific sucks. It's wide open. It's open because the teams are kind of solid. And yeah. Seattle, we saw the Kraken, man. Yeah. Seattle would be ahead of Minnesota right now. Like, they'd yeah. be second in the Central as well. It's crazy. It's very funny. So, we dogged them, and it's going to be the better division of the two, which is very funny. So like watching the Western conference final, just whoever, whoever comes out of that is going to go to the, and go to the Stanley cup final and get crushed. <laughs> yeah, To be fair, probably going to be whoever does anyway. Yeah. Well, I mean, if the abs go out, I think the abs the, have a chance. The abs are the only team that has a chance in the yeah. West. Agreed. So we're both on the same page. Abs win. I got four, three in overtime. You got four, two in regulation. Um, there was one final thing we wanted to touch on, uh, on this episode, there was some news that came out about Gabriel Landeskog and Josh Manson and Pavel Francos. Uh, it was the update we all were expecting, but it's still kind of frustrating to hear. Uh, it sounds like Landy still really isn't close. And Bednar even said today, we, we don't know if he'll be back. Like, we, we just don't know. Um, Manson's week to week. So maybe a return before the end of the regular season for him. Frankie is not recovering as fast as they thought he would. Um, so really it's not good news, but at least we all were prepared for it. Like it's not like we were expecting the good news. Like you watch the videos of Gabe Landeskog skating. He's still not even close to returning. No, not at all. And I guess we can just jump right into the Landeskog conversation. I'm concerned to say the least. I mean, what was the original prognosis when he had the surgery in October? 12 weeks, you know, late December, early January. We're well past that at this point. And even when he started skating, you're like, oh, mid-March, surely, mid to late March. That is a pipe dream if he got healed by magic tomorrow. And right now we're wondering if he's going to be back for the playoffs. And I worry that when the playoffs do start, that there's two options. Landeskog is going to play or he isn't. And I don't know which one I'm more concerned about because if, if he's there's as long as he's able to play, there's nothing that's going to keep that guy out of the lineup, but this is Are you a, just going to repeat the cycle. Right. That's the fear. This is a very lasting injury. Now, to be fair, this surgery is different than the one he had back in March, but that's also the thing. If he plays through this in the playoffs and let's say the abs do go on like a really deep run, is this going to compromise the rest of his career if that's the case? I mean, I, I hate to be the guy bringing this up because I want Gabe Landeskog back in this lineup. This team needs him. I don't think they can win without Gabe Landeskog in the lineup. Let's now. make it very clear. They cannot win without no. Gabe Landeskog. They no. will not win without Gabe Landeskog. Right, which is why he is going to play in the playoffs. There's no doubt in my mind that even if he's not 100%, he's going to play. I'm just worried about his future. I think that's a very, like, you can say that. Like, you just don't want to repeat the same. I know we joked earlier about, like, Val Nachushkin cannot play in the regular season. If he does everything in the playoffs, we're fine. 
but there's actually a difference when the guy is actually sitting out the entire regular season. Right. <laughs> and this is, if you think about it, he's played what, 20 games of hockey in the past calendar year now. Yeah. We're coming up on a year since the last time he played yeah. a regular season game, which I still think it's really funny that he just ripped on the refs for the Nazem Kadri shit that happened in Carolina. And then just to make sure he never got any backlash for that, just never played again, never played. And he's played 20 games in a calendar year now, 20. Granted, those were playoff games and they were high intensity. So you can probably equate it to like 30. But still, it, it is concerning that a guy who went out like in when he first got that surgery, we were like, oh, this is just kind of cap circumvention. Like that's what they're trying to do here. And now we're coming up on legitimately a year since he's played a regular season hockey game. And he's only what year two of this contract. Yeah. Like, we got six years left after this. Yeah. And which is great. I will. Add. It's great. But if he's not playing in the regular season, you, you you need your captain. And it's not like he's just a run-of-the-mill captain who's like a Mike Fisher type for the Predators. He's a legitimate top 10, top five winger in the NHL when he's healthy. Like, you need this guy. So I think there is cause for concern. But I I completely agree with you. He's going to play in the playoffs no matter what. He's going to play. It's you, can't, just, you can't keep him off the ice yeah, for the playoffs. It, it's just, is he going to be 100%? And right. it, it, by all indications, it sounds like maybe he's 60% right now. Maybe. I, it's hard to even get a bead on it at the moment because, like we said, every timeline for every player this season has just been so janky and just most of the time flat out wrong for the most right. part. 12 weeks. I, I don't know how we got 12 weeks at the beginning of the season for a recovery when he didn't even start skating until February. And it's hard to not be concerned about it at this point. And if he doesn't play in the playoffs, that's almost just as concerning as well for obvious reasons, because that is a serious injury. Like what happened here where I, we're not going to speculate obviously on what could possibly be wrong, but you kind of have to wonder like, this is going well beyond like any sort of knee injury we've seen before where it's going to hold Gabriel Landeskog out for a regular season and potentially the playoffs as well. Right. So, I mean, we've been kind of pining on Landeskog to be the trade deadline addition for this team. And if he's back and he's a hundred percent for the playoffs, that's, that's really all you care about at this point. And I know it's going to take him a minute to get back in stride with everything. Cause he hasn't played hockey in forever. Just the, boost of Gabe Landeskog being back on the team will probably be enough to push this team to another level. But at this point where it's just every single time we get an update on Gabe Landeskog, it's not, it's, it's, he's working hard, but we just don't know right now. Everything is still kind of up in the air. It's, it's getting a little disheartening and worrying. Very much so. But I, I, We'll have to see. Like, we won't know until he's back, like, how severe it was. And we probably won't find out in the, until the offseason if we're like, oh, this is what happened. Um, but we, we need the captain back. And it's very clear. Like, this team can't win the Stanley Cup without Gabe no. Landeskog. I mean, they, they many teams cannot win the Stanley Cup without their captain. That, that's not an indictment on the abs and the way they're built. It's just Gabriel Landeskog is the emotional leader of this team and also just so happens to be one of the best wingers in the NHL he, at the same time. He was a top 50 player last year, only playing 50 games by right. NHL Network. He had, he had 30 33 goals. goals. Yeah, in 50 games. So 
it's a very, very important part to your lineup. And I just salivate and I get excited thinking about if he comes back, how good the abs are going to be because you add Cape Landiscog into that top six. Your top six is one of the best in the leagues all of a sudden. Once yeah. again, it's one of the best in the league. All of a sudden, you're talking about bumping Evan Rodriguez down and your your second line is probably Landiscog, Comfer, and Ranton. And or Ranton and or Nachushkin pick yeah. your poison at that point. And that's disgusting lineup for the team. It is. It is. So but, we'll have I to mean, wait and I've, see. I've kind of resigned myself to this is probably not happening in the regular season. I think, I think we've gotten enough updates and I can take a hint. He's not going to be back in the regular season unless it's, he miraculously is like, oh, all better. All right. He could. I I think there's like a small chance he plays in like that last game against Nashville on that second half of the back-to-back. And you're like, that'll be the only reason we tune into that game because probably playoffs will be clinched by that. And we'll even, probably know even, where we are. Even then, like, I just don't think they'd even risk it at that point. If there's a yeah. 1% chance that he re-injures it in that game, they're not going to do it. Fair. But we'll have to wait and see. Uh, the news about Josh Manson, well, that sucks. That sucks. That I mean, he suck. may be, That's That sucks a lot. Yeah, he may be back before the end of the regular season. Um that really sucks because now you wonder, like, did they rush him back? Like, if you retweak something, so that sucks. Uh, Frankie, like, that's kind of been the story of his time in Colorado is he's a really good goaltender but just can't stay healthy. Like, you look at it now, he's played, what, one and a half years in the past four years since he's been with the Avs? Yeah. Like, and it's The only positive news you got was Darren Helm is yep. – potentially could be back before the end of the season. And EJ is way ahead of schedule right now. Somehow skating at three weeks after breaking his ankle. <laughs> yeah. And for when the timeline they initially had for him was eight to 10 weeks, he's skating in three, but the, the Manson one really sucks, yeah. really sucks where he's going to miss time. And it's related to, I mean, direct quote related to his last injury. I mean, it looked like he tweaked something and as we feared, it's the exact same thing. Which... Dude, can we have the conversation? And I've been kind of thinking about this. Has the Avs ice sucked all year? Have you noticed that in the home games? Like, it's been choppy. Every... Like, there's players losing an edge, it seems like, every game when know... it's in ball arena. I noticed it in the playoffs, too. Yeah. But for the games that I was actually there for, like I remember we were talking like, does this ice look like shit or what? It does. It also was granted like 90 degrees sometimes right. for some of those playoff games. It's not anymore. No, but it's been bad. Like Manson got hurt because he lost an edge on the ice in ball arena. McDermott got hurt last night because he caught an edge. Like something's going on with the ice. And I hate to be the conspiracy theory brain, but there's something correlating there because I don't remember the last time like you've seen a game where the Avs played at Ball Arena where you're like, oh yeah, this ice is great. Like I, I think for ice, you just don't notice. When yeah, it's like it's just I I've been thinking about like what is going on with it because it's not like anything's changed at Ball Arena. Like the Nuggets still play there. Like there's events going on there all the time. I don't recall in my memory of the ice being this bad. Yeah, I mean, I think for I think it's just tough to recall that stuff with ice sometimes because right. you're not supposed to notice it. If you're noticing the ice, then it's already not doing its job. But yeah. and I don't think it's just been ball arena as well. I think around the league, you've just seen a lot of really shoddy ice this season. A lot of it's guys toe picking and falling over. Like in Washington, they are 
kind of notorious for not having the best ice in the world, but I've noticed it this year. It's like really noticeable there. It's well. weird. Yeah, it's it, weird. It's weird. Like, it's not like, I don't know. Like, it, I've just thought about that and it's like, it just drives me a little crazy, but um, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll hopefully get some guys back. Eric Johnson seems uh, closer. Uh, I still would be shocked if he's back before like the end of the month. I still would. Yeah. Cause you know that they're just going to play that completely safe and just, until he's a hundred percent because the reality is Eric Johnson's job is blocking shots. So he's got to be healthy. Um, Man, when it comes to EJ, it's just like this season has just been so unfortunate because it's not like he's been bad, but he's also been very much put in a position with a lot of injuries that is kind of beyond him at this point. point. And Eric Johnson fully healthy on a fully healthy defense on that third pair, probably with Gerard's, would be great and he when he was briefly in that role he did a fantastic job so it's just such a shame like especially if this is his last season with the team you know maybe he'll be back maybe he retires maybe he goes somewhere else which would just be kind of gross but if this is his last season with the team it's just it's such a shame that it hasn't gone better than this I hope it's not his last season I mean obviously we all love Eric Johnson but just such a shame because it could have been so different with him this season yeah. if everything worked out. Well, I, I think he's going to be okay and he's on track to return, but this, like we just talk about this team and it's just, if they get healthy, this team could beat anyone. They could like, you're talking about a six paired defensive unit with Kale McCarr, Devon Taves, Bo Byram, Josh Manson, Eric Johnson, Sam Gerard, and then your seventh defenseman's Jack Johnson, eighth Brad hunt. That's a very good defensive core. <laughs> And then your forward group with Gabe Landeskog's back, you're right there with the rest of the other top sixes in the in the entire league. Like this year's just kind of been the whole year. It's like, man, if the Avs were just healthy, like they could accomplish so much. And I'm just going to keep my fingers crossed that comes during the playoffs. I'm just going to keep my fingers crossed because yeah. I think one of the cruel things about the playoffs last year is that it did. It was like game literally one that was the healthiest lineup yep. they iced all season it was exactly what they built the team to be and it was game one so now i feel like we just have this expectation yeah. that when game one rolls around this time they're just gonna be fully healthy because that's how it went last year and i really hope we're not setting ourselves up for disappointment well i mean and then even get the second round gerard gets hurt uh Berkey breaks his thumb in the cup final. Nas breaks his thumb in the Western conference. Final. Injuries are going to happen in the playoffs. So it, it's, it's a double-edged sword because I think it's good that some of these guys, when, if an injury happens, they can play up or down in the lineup, but man, like if this team stays healthy, I, I don't think there's a team in the West that's even close to them. Yeah. I mean, the closest is the Oilers. Yeah. And even then their defense with the, with the healthy defense. I think our team can hold McDavid and Dreisaitl to a point a game. I think I exactly agree with that. The biggest mismatch in that series is on defense, even with Matthias Ekholm, who, again, the Avs bullied against the Predators last year in the playoffs. The Oilers, if it does come to that in the Western Conference Final, or maybe the first round if things roll that way, that's the big difference. Is It's always the question of how much is the separation between McDavid and McKinnon and can 
the rest of the abs make up for that slack, which is unequivocally, yes, that they have been able to do that a lot in the past against the Oilers. And that McKinnon has very much proven that while he's not putting up like three to four points a game like McDavid is, he's very much able to take over a game to the point where his team can support him to a win. And if McDavid's quiet at all, they lose. And what the abs have that the Oilers do not is Kale McCarr. And the Oilers have Darnell Nurse, who I don't think is as good as Kale McCarr. Right. I mean, there's the article from from Dom LeCision today, like looking at teams post trade deadline where he has the the Oilers as the favorite in the West, specifically pointing to JT Coffer being the Avs second line center, and now the Oilers probably exploit that in a playoff series. Maybe I'm biased. Probably I wouldn't know why. Don't know. Don't know where you get that idea from, yeah. but. I don't think that's really as much of a disadvantage as it seems to be. I mean, JT Confer, not an offensive dynamo. I don't think there's any shame in admitting that. Still a damn solid defensive forward. And if he's on a line with Gabe Landeskog and Val Nachushkin, I'm not too worried about it all that much. We'll be fine. Yes. So again, this team is not what it was last year. No. I don't think there's any shame in admitting this team is not what it was last year. No matter what they did, this team was not going to be what it was last year. The West is still very weak. The Oilers are a solid team, but I just always think it's so strange. I mean, it's fair because the Oilers are a good team, but they also have not proven that they're the favorites in the West. Cause we're talking like, Oh, the West is so weak. It's gotta be the Oilers this time. They are still in the wild card. They have yeah. not taken over the Pacific at any point this season. I don't even remember if they've ever been winning the division so far this season. maybe early in the year that like if it if it's below 20 games it really doesn't count and even then i really don't remember them doing that back early in the season where they even had a lead maybe they did for like a day or two yeah but i feel like and there is a very good chance the oilers come out of the west but they really have not proven that that they're capable of doing that and you have a rookie goaltender Right. Who's your starter? <laughs> Which is funny because I would trust Stort Skinner a lot more than the past three goalies that they've had, whether that be Campbell, Smith, or Koskinen, which is... Two I, of those I, guys aren't even in the league anymore. Yeah. And I think for for good reason. It's, isn't Mike Smith technically still getting paid just on yes. LPIR? Yes. Like, if, if we want to talk about salary cap circumvention, it's, oh, Mike Smith is, he's just done. What's his injury? I don't know. It's old retirement. Yeah. <laughs> that's his injury. He's got retirement itis. I yeah. I think that's still so funny that we've just kind of given them a pass for that, that they turned him into Shea Weber this yeah. season. I mean, he's he's still on their LTIR, and so is Oscar Clefbaum. I mean, I respect it because that's how the guys get paid. You know who else is on their LTIR? Who? Ryan Murray. Oh, Ryan Murray. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, Ryan, Ryan, Ryan. And he's played 13 games this season. That just Poor guy. Poor yeah. dude. He just cannot catch a break. I mean, I guess I guess some guys unfortunately are just yeah. injury prone. I thought about this as toy off topic. Like the video of Nico Sturm getting his championship ring happened last night. How much does that suck for Nico Sturm? They anyway till March 7th to get his fucking championship ring. Like you're talking almost a full year after you won the cup and you see everyone else getting it. And then you don't get it till the fucking end of the year. Like and talk the, about brutal. And you're in the same conference as right? the, they didn't have a home game against you until March 7th. I mean, they didn't even play you until March 7th. Yeah. That's the worst part. Like 
everyone else has had their rings and they've already probably been framed and all that shit. And Nico Sturm's just sitting there like, hey guys, what's going on? Like, it's Remember me, Nico. I was here too. I got an <laughs> yeah. assist on a very big goal in Tampa that one time and yeah. got very handsomely paid by the Sharks. Yeah, so, and he's I been mean, good this year. He's I mean, good. if you, you look at his contract in San Jose, I think he didn't lose any sleep over <laughs> not getting that ring until now when he looks at that contract and looks at his bank account like, goddamn. Yeah, but I thought that was funny. I was like, poor dude, man. He had to wait till fucking March 7th to get his championship ring. That's brutal. Yeah, I mean, poor guy. He's got a Stanley Cup ring. Yeah. He also made like $6 million off of that too. But I mean, he's also in San Jose. So is he really really winning still? Yeah. So I just thought that was funny. But yeah, I mean, Avs have some big games this weekend. Well, I mean, the Coyotes game, we totally skipped over that. Coyotes game on Saturday. We won't record for that one. They need to win that game. I know the Coyotes are on like a crazy point streak right now. What are they doing? It, they're being really bad at tanking. We talked about the Sharks being good at tanking. The Coyotes are being bad. Like their team's gotten actively worse and they're still winning games. So you need to win that game. Yeah. Um, I will not be able to watch it, which will probably benefit the Avs. So I I want to say the Avs win that game five to two. I think that's perfectly fair. I think also like Mullet Arena is like a shockingly tough place to play. It is. For the most part, other teams just do not fare. I mean, they're 15, 11, and three at home and 7, 21, and seven on the road, which I think is very indicative that for it's a small arena, but they're damn good at it. They're they good. good they're job. good. This is a road game for the Coyotes. I think the Avs take care of business in this one. They should. They probably should have learned their lesson against the Coyotes the first time this season. We've just kind of had to live with that for a little while after that debacle after Christmas break. I think the Avs are going to take care of business in that game. I, it's not going to be as easy as this one because lest we forget, these teams do not like each other still. For some reason, the Avs have really just let the Coyotes get under their skin multiple times a year. So it's probably going to end up being a pretty decent game for the kind of game we're expecting out of this but it's gonna be a revenge game because they broke our home win streak last year i was was just thinking about that too it's also like you also you had your game against the coyotes where they pulled off the upset it's gonna happen every now and again you should probably take care of business the rest of the way and this is where the schedule lightens up for a while like we've been talking about for most of the season you've got really like four like playoff games left before the end of the season you got dallas you have minnesota edmonton and winnipeg and winnipeg is like the second to last one most of them are in april you have one this month and it's against minnesota and they really should be taking care of business the rest of the way you did a good enough job in february that you put yourself in striking distance now you have the the second easiest schedule because calgary technically has the easiest schedule right now and actually, Vancouver has an easier schedule than us, too. You know, maybe they'll make a playoff push yet. <laughs> You've put yourself in striking distance that you need to take advantage against some of these teams. Rack up those points and just see where you are at the end of the season. Because it might not matter because Minnesota has just decided they don't lose anymore. And so they're on an 11-game point streak right now. But their last regulation loss was to us. Like, I think there's a very real possibility the Avs could be on the same point streak here in a couple weeks. I think that's a very real possibility as well. I mean, the thing with Minnesota is like the teams they've played aren't great. Oh, and Kaprizov got hurt tonight, so we don't know what's going on yeah. with that. 
And so. they don't have any update as of right now, which as a beginning is not a good sign for them, right. which I don't like Minnesota. I'm not going to pretend I like Minnesota, but that does suck. It does suck. It does blow. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's good for the abs to catch them down. But we're have some winnable games. We're going to put it into this podcast. We're coming up on an hour and a half right now. So <laughs> yeah, I know that's what I'm saying, man. We got way off topic in this one. Um, abs beat the Sharks 6 nothing. They'll face the Kings by the time you're listening to this. Hopefully win that one. And then they get the Coyotes at home on Saturday at a random 4 p.m. start time. Right? Because that makes sense. Um, so hopefully we're coming on Sunday talking about the Avs winning three straight after losing three straight and potentially being tied for first place in the Central if everything goes their way. Yeah. They got some results to go their way. They got one result to go their way against the Sharks. We'll see how the rest of the season shapes up. We are down to 20 games to go on the regular season, and we are less than two months away till this Stanley Cup playoffs where it all matters at this point. And it's going to be one hell of a ride the rest of the way. But the ride for this episode ends here. Thank you all so very much for tuning in. As always, use promo code TELDABS it is on SeatGeek for $20 off your first order of $50 or more. If you want to follow us on Twitter, you can follow me at GYoungsNHL. You can follow Christian at Christian underscore Belay, and you can follow the show at TELDABS it is. But again, thank you all so very much for tuning in, and we will catch you all next time. But until then, let's go abs. <laughs>